Hello and welcome to the Bits of Balance podcast, a place where health and wellness is talked about and viewed through more than just a physical lens, but an emotional, social, spiritual, and intellectual lens as well. Over here, we believe that health-promoting behaviors should add to your life rather than take away from it. I'm your host, Jacqueline Bett, a non-diet registered dietitian to be, a certified personal trainer, and an extreme ice cream enthusiast. In this podcast, you will hear special guests and myself share our journeys and how we are working to find balance in our own lives. We will also discuss ways to ditch diet culture and find food freedom. We'll also be diving into how to discover your own healthy relationship with exercise and ways to be at peace with your body. But most importantly, I hope for this podcast to inspire and motivate you to find your own balance while practicing wellness without obsession. So let's dive in and discuss some bits of balance. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bits of Balance podcast. If you're new here, I'm so glad that you have chosen to tune into today's episode. And if you're not new here, well, then welcome back. And thank you again for listening and for your consistent support. Today, I'm coming at you with a very special guest episode. And just from chatting with today's special guest for like 30 to 40 minutes, I gained a whole new perspective and learned literally at least like 10 new things. Therefore, I'm so excited to share this one with you all as well. Today's special guest is Sarah King. She is a health at every size exercise physiologist and health coach who uses scientific facts and her own personal journey to empower other women to develop a permanent positive relationship with food, exercise, and their bodies. Through her one-to-one and group coaching programs, as well as her online community recovery club, she helps women regain their periods, balance their hormones, find food freedom, and have a healthier relationship with exercise all while gaining body confidence. Her primary belief is to unlearn everything about diet culture. It's about nourishing the body and mind with scientific facts to build foundations for a life of realness, not just wellness. Wow, how awesome is Sarah's bio? And I just want to say that last sentence again a life of realness, not wellness. How refreshing is that? Anyways, Sarah and I dive into a number of amazing topics in today's episode, and she is seriously an expert at what she does. She is so well-spoken and is helping numerous women every single day, and I truly look up to her for that. In today's episode, we discuss topics such as hypothalamic amenorrhea and the side effects of HA or a loss of your period and how this really affects your long-term health. We also dive into women's hormone health and the truth about birth control or oral contraceptives. Next, Sarah shares so many essential and helpful tips and insight on topics such as how to manage exercise addiction and your identity to fitness, how to accept weight gain or your body changing, how to sit through uncomfortable feelings, why we should get rid of the scale, and so much more. So obviously, you can see that these are all topics that I am very passionate about and very heavily aligned with. Overall, this episode was incredibly eye-opening and motivating for me from a scientific and recovery-focused point of view, and I hope that you all feel the same way after listening as well. So let's get right into it. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course, I'm so excited that you're here. So we're going to start off the show with five fun this or that questions like we always do. Are you ready to get into these? I am. I'm going to be surprised, I think. (laughs) All right. So the first one is soft serve or hard serve ice cream. Oh, hard serve ice cream. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm with you on that one. And then secondly, beach vacation or mountain vacation? 
Oh, I, so I live by the beach, a hundred percent beach vacation, even though I know I live next to one, I'm just a summer beach girl. <laughs> there you go. And can you share with my listeners really quick with, we were just talking about this, but where you live and where you're located at and everything. So I live in Sydney, Australia. I'm actually American originally, but I've lived here since 2003. And the exact location I live in is Bondi Beach. So it's very well known worldwide to be a very beautiful beach. That's awesome. All right. And then for the third one, dine in or take out? I mean, it depends on my mood, but I think dine in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't I don't have to do any dishes. <laughs> That's a good point. And plus, since COVID right now, I feel like I, I always want to dine in because for so long I was just getting takeout. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then yoga or weightlifting? Oh, weights, 100%. Yeah. I love yoga, but my body does not love yoga. <laughs> okay. And then lastly, read a book or watch a movie. Oh, I do a lot of reading anyway. So I'm going to say watch a movie because for me, like I don't make a lot of time to wind down. So when I like sit down to watch a movie, I know I'm like, oh, time to relax. Whereas like reading, I'm very much like engaged into it. Mm-hmm. I feel that too. I feel like watching a movie or just a tv show is like a total mental break and that's sometimes all i need <laughs> same here same here 100 percent. all right perfect well that was fun thanks for answering those and i'll have you start off by just giving my audience an introduction as to who you are and what you do in your career yeah so my name is sarah king i am online pretty much on most platforms as sarah liz king um so that's where you can find me and i am an accredited exercise physiologist and health coach and i specialize in a few key areas including eating disorders and disordered eating over exercise or exercise addiction and then women's health conditions including endometriosis, PCOS, and a very common one that I work with is hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is your loss of a menstrual cycle. Um, So that is who I am and what I do professionally. I guess outside of that, when I'm not working, you can definitely find me at the beach, going on a coastal walk, hanging out with friends, drinking all of the coffee. Um, (laughs) Australia has a very different uh, coffee culture to America and we kind of like live and breathe by our caffeine. So yeah, catching up with friends on the weekend, checking out some markets, grabbing brunch. Those are my favorite things to do. When I'm not helping clients, obviously build a healthy relationship with food and exercise or regain their periods. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I have to ask you now, what's your favorite coffee or like your go-to coffee order? So they're all called different things here, but in Australia, you've got, uh, so like a flat white, which is basically like a milky coffee. And I don't know what the equivalent, like American coffee order would be. Um, but like, we have things like flat white, a latte, a cappuccino, which is like, got chocolate in it but Mm -hmm. a flat white is basically like steamed milk and a shot of espresso and it is delicious that sounds good I would love to visit Australia sometime yeah teleport yourself here (laughs) literally I wish yeah (laughs) and so you mentioned like the population and the clients that you work with and things like that so what would you say like sparked your passion to get into this work and work with the client clientele that you do 
that's such a great question. Um, so when I left university, I actually started working in corporate health, but while I was in university and we had to do our placements, we basically did a lot of different populations um, in helping them with exercise and lifestyle changes. And one of the first placements I did was in mental health. And I just kind of grew this passion and knew that I would love to work in mental health because of the health promoting benefits of exercise. Um, but yeah, I ended up in corporate health and I was there for a few years realized there was no growth potential for me in, in that role that I was doing and kind of had this uh, fork in the road moment where I was like, well, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm never really going to get anywhere or I could stop this and go out on my own. So I started my own business and I knew that I wanted to go back into mental health. And I personally have a lived spirit, lived experience of an eating disorder and had a real heavy reliance on exercise throughout um, my eating disorder. And it even lingered quite a little while after that. And there was never anyone to help guide me and talk through the mindsets around exercise or tell me how much was too much or how much was an okay amount given where I was at. So I was like, well, nobody's really doing this. So I will do it myself. And I carved out my niche in that area went to work at some hospitals that have um, inpatient programs for eating disorders and also opened my own private practice where I saw clients for a variety of issues, but the predominant clientele that I saw were they were um, clients who were referred to me for management of, you know, exercise compulsion or over-exercise in relation to their eating disorders. And then I also used to see like women's health clients, so pre and postnatal clients, um, a lot of people that were referred to me for endometriosis. Um, so that's another um, condition that I used to see. PCOS was also the other one. And then from there, I actually started seeing a lot of clients with hypothalamic amenorrhea because they were misdiagnosed with PCOS. And I was the mm. one picking up on it going, oh, this doesn't add up. I don't think your doctor has accurately diagnosed you. Because um, the two treatments for the two different conditions are worlds apart and um, a very important thing is to get the right diagnosis you get the right treatment. So that's how I ended up working in that space. And I was physically face-to-face -face in a gym and in the hospital. And I did that for several years. And then I was actually about to move overseas to New York. And right before I did, I broke my foot really badly so I broke like five bones in my foot not even a good story fell down a flight of stairs was just distracted oh <laughs> and, and lost my footing um and ended up in a boot and couldn't really do the job that I was going to go do in New York which is like going back to more clinical work in a hospital um so <laughs> Here I was kind of going like, well, what am I going to do now? I can't really stand on my feet and work in a gym. Plus I've just given my leave telling them I'm about to move to New York and like shifted all my clients to other trainers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to change tack. And I started moving my business online at the end of 2019. And then that became my full-time kind of gig in 2020, um, given that the pandemic hit, it seemed to be a smart move. Mm -hmm. And my clinic is now based solely online. 
So still helping the same clients, um, eating disorders, disordered eating, exercise addiction. And I do that through Zoom and health coaching. So really helping with that behavior change and mindset change because you can't have one without the other. And then we also offer um, online training. So online supervised exercise training through an app where people can check in with their technique. We can really monitor their volume and their intensity to help them build that healthier relationship with exercise. Hmm. That's so interesting. I seriously like look up to you and, and admire the work that you're doing because exercise addiction was a huge thing for me as well in my eating disorder. And well, a lot of people, I don't think realize how much the mindset plays a role in exercise and just fitness in general. And the way that you see exercise and fitness on social media or on Instagram, a lot of times like just isn't reality. And, you know, people might be going to the gym for the wrong reasons type of thing. And that's something that I, even like to this day, I ask myself before I go to the gym, like, why am I going to the gym right now? Am I going because my mind's in the right place? And like, I want to work out to make myself feel good. And because I want to move my body in this way, or am I going because I feel like I have to, or I feel a compulsion to burn calories or something like that. So it's always so important to check in. And that's awesome that you have that app and everything to do that. That's so cool. And I also know that you mentioned you work a lot with clients with HA and I'm just going to say HA because I don't want to try to pronounce it. Um, But could you kind of explain a little bit more about what HA is? I know it's like a loss of a period you mentioned, but how does this occur? And I know maybe tied into eating disorders, disordered eating, but how do you typically see this occur with clients? Yeah, such a great question. Um, And thank you for also sharing your experience of exercise addiction as well, because it is so common and just not spoken about. I think the food side of recovery gets really, really talked about, but not the exercise side. And both are equally important, right? We need a good Mm -hmm. relationship with food and with movement because both are really essential to us being healthy humans long-term. So Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that you are now in that place, having those healthy intentions because it just, changes your world a hundred percent hundred percent even today is an example just going off of that like I was planning on going to the gym today and then I like literally asked myself like I was like I don't even feel like going to the gym right now and I went outside and went for like a 20 minute walk and I was like I feel so much better like just things like that yeah exactly just being flexible and adapt to how you're feeling on the day that's what's going to give you the most health benefits from movement long-term, but it takes a while to get there. And there's a lot of work involved as you would know, but it is hundred percent possible to get to that place. Um, now with HA, so HA stands for hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is an absolute tongue twister. But by the end of this podcast, the listeners will probably hear it enough times to be able to say it. Um, it is a loss of a menstrual cycle for greater than six months. And it is a form of secondary amenorrhea. So that means that a person would have gotten their period at some point initially, and then they lost it further down the track. And the main reasons why hypothalamic amenorrhea occur are from a combination of undereating or overexercising or psychological stress 
there is a component of weight and weight loss to it and also some genetic factors that kind of can be linked into this condition as well, which make people just more sensitive to energy imbalances and energy disturbances. But basically what happens is the body feels like it's not a safe place for reproduction. So when there is this low energy availability, which results when we don't eat enough for the amount of exercise that we are doing, it leads to our hypothalamus, which is in our brain, kind of shutting down the production of something called GNRH, so gonadotropin releasing hormone. So that just kind of like really lowers down. And the impact of that is that that is the hormone then that then signals to our other sex hormones to increase and produce more FSH and LH and therefore estrogen and progesterone. So we kind of get into this state where our body goes, oh, we feel a little bit under threat. We're not really getting enough energy and maybe we're in a famine because it has no idea what's happening, that you're actually actively maybe restricting um, or pursuing weight loss. And it goes, okay, well, we're going to put some energy conserving strategies into place. One of which is the cessation of a menstrual cycle. So your periods stop. Um, and that is because your body is adapting to ensure that it can give energy to just essential processes in your body. And reproduction is not, it doesn't see it as an essential. It is the extra nice to have. Although in me saying that, I want to really emphasize that a period is incredibly vital for a person that has a uterus. It's incredibly important for their health because sex hormones play more than one role in the body and not just in fertility. So a missing period isn't something to ignore. It's actually a big red flag that some really negative things are going on that need to be addressed sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are some of the side effects that you see, um, of those clients that have HA, like what else is going on in their body and what side effects can come out of that? Oh, so many, so, so many. So, I mean, if we're talking about signs and symptoms, you'll often see some signs and symptoms of malnutrition or under eating. So feeling really fatigued, um, just being really irritable all of the time, uh, feeling cold a lot. And then there are other things that are the impact from low sex hormones. So a very low libido or sex drive. And then we also have the physiological impacts of low sex hormones on the body. So the most predominant one is loss of bone mass. So estrogen and to a point progesterone are incredibly essential in building and maintaining bone mass. And without those hormones in our body, we have a significant amount of bone breakdown. So up to 2% of our bone mass is lost every year that we don't have a menstrual cycle. So that is absolutely massive and isn't something that is completely reversible. So if you want a healthy skeletal system, and strong bones for the rest of your life, a regular menstrual cycle is incredibly important to you. And when I'm talking about a menstrual cycle, I'm talking about a regular menstrual cycle, not on oral contraceptive, because that is not a person's natural period. That is a synthetic hormone withdrawal bleed. And the two are very, very different. So those are some of the common side effects. 
The other ones to keep in mind are there are cardiovascular implications for low estrogen, so heart impacts. And then these actual hormones do have a big kind of tie into our moods and how we feel as well. So mm-hmm. progesterone is like a calming hormone, for instance. So it makes us feel a lot calmer. So there is a link to you know higher anxiety levels in some people as well. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That's so interesting. It's like, it really can tie into every area of the body, the bones, the heart, and like the hormones and all of that. And I definitely can speak from personal experiences with that as well. Um, my eating disorder started in the beginning of high school and I lost my period. I had a period before and I went to my doctor and they put me on an oral contraceptive, like a birth control, basically to mask the issue pretty much. And so I was on that for, I would say a good two to three years and was getting not a natural period and was only getting it because of that. And I had never really heard of HA or didn't know much about it. And I was just like, this is normal. This is fine. And then I think I found somewhere, I found somewhere online, something about it. And I was like, okay, maybe this isn't good. Like maybe I should go off of this pill and see if I get a period basically. But I didn't consult my doctor, which I wouldn't recommend doing, but I went off of it. And then at one point I went back to my doctor and I still hadn't gotten a period. And I remember the doctor telling me like, you shouldn't have went off it because there's something in the pill for your bones. Is that a thing? Like, I don't know. I was just confused by that. I remember. Yeah. That's actually one of the biggest myths that I am consistently busting. So it used to be that uh, physicians, doctors, GPs, your primary care physician would prescribe the pill because it was thought to be protective of your bone health. If you had a missing period. What we know now is that the amount of estrogen in an oral contraceptive is not sufficient to prevent degradation of bone mass. So it isn't going to help protect your bones. And if you have been told that by a doctor, it is not accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing that can protect your bones in terms of uh, hormone replacement is something like an estrogen patch, which is a form of HRT. So hormone replacement therapy, which is traditionally used in like postmenopausal women, um, can be safely used in people trying to recover from hypothalamic amenorrhea. Now, you are taking an exogenous form of estrogen, which means that uh, you might, depending on the kind of medication you're prescribed by a doctor, get a bleed. But again, that's not your own body's natural period. What we're doing is we're going, okay, if you haven't had a menstrual cycle for a really long time, maybe you're recovering from some disordered eating or an eating disorder. And it's going to take you a little bit of time to get on track with eating regularly and adequately and going through any weight restoration that might be necessary for you. Let's give your body some support here while you really work on those lifestyle changes and and mentally getting up to speed with being okay with these changes. Let's protect your body for that time, but it shouldn't really be used anywhere more between like, you know, it's kind of like a three to six month uh, thing that should be used. And you should really try and help a young person or a person of like reproductive age, try and regain that cycle naturally. 
Okay. That makes sense. Well, thank you for debunking that. Cause I remember being so confused and I never did go back on the pill. I was just like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm, I need to get this naturally. And that was like one of my biggest motivations in recovery as well, because I even like got a DEXA scan at one point and I saw that my bones were like getting near like the osteopenia. And I was like, no, cause I care about my health a lot. So that was a huge motivation for me um, because it was scary. It was very scary in the moment. And like you mentioned, a lot of people struggling with HA may have to go through weight restoration or eating more food, fueling their body in healthier ways and just less restrictive ways, I guess. How do you help clients work through that process of being okay with gaining weight and maybe um, accepting or feeling neutral about their body rather than, you know, getting down on themselves and things like that? Yeah. And this is kind of the golden question, isn't it? How do I be comfortable? How do I be comfortable with my body in a world that tells me my body may not be okay if it's different? Mm -hmm. Because we do live in this like diet culture fueled world. And the assumption that we create in our brain is that, you know, if I have been given like positive feedback about my looks, maybe a, a, a weight and in a body that isn't physiologically healthy for me because I'm not maintaining a menstrual cycle, if I go through all of these changes, what happens if I'm no longer accepted or I can't see myself as good enough or I feel really uncomfortable in my body? And it's a really difficult process. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that it's amazing and you feel all of the, you will feel all the extra benefits of nourishing your body adequately. You won't feel cold all the time. You'll have more ability to socialize. You'll feel more energized. You'll feel all of these things but there is the side effect of your brain having to play catch up because your body will change. And anyone that can be like, you know, one of the really problematic things I find is people are like, Oh, but it's fine. Like, you know, I didn't gain that much weight. So you'll be fine. And I'm like, mm. well, everyone's body is different. We don't have a crystal ball to tell that person exactly how their body's going to turn out. So we really have to help them with, better body image and and how do you really improve someone's body image it is a few different things so the one is the one that kind of drives the behaviors that we have of maybe restriction and over exercise can be related to this over evaluation of weight and shape so the amount of worth that we place on the way that we look and our body shape and our size and maybe the number on the scale and how that uh, how we kind of link our self-esteem to that and our self-worth to that. So it's kind of going like, okay, uh, how do you see your friends, for instance, and having them list out all the different things they see as positive and the things they love about their friends and go, did you list their gene size? Did you list the number on the scale? You know, the things that we love about other people aren't necessarily their weight or the way that they look, but how they make us feel and the things that we have as shared values and all of those things are actually more important to us than someone's appearance. And it's also about kind of going like, I know that you know that about other people and you don't judge other people for the way that they look. How can we start applying this to you? So there's often this kind of internalized that phobia, like anyone else can exist in a, a different size body, but if I do, I'm going to be judged. So really helping people move through that fear of judgment and the fear of, you know, quote unquote, what other people think 
But at the end of the day, really, really moving towards that place of neutrality where you can kind of go like, I don't have to love my body every day, but I can take care of it. And despite feeling really low one day, I can still nourish my body adequately because I know that that is a form of self-respect. And getting to the point where you can do that and do it every single day is going to be the absolute turning point for you in recovery because it is about respecting your body regardless of what it looks like and actually choosing that over and over despite the feelings that you might be experiencing on one day. So the other section or the other part of the puzzle is to learn how to sit through a little bit of discomfort and realize that the coping strategy that you may have used before to run away from those feelings. So if I'm feeling low and uncomfortable in my body, it's okay. I can just go change it. I can go to the gym and I can eat differently and that'll solve the problem. Well, we realize that that's actually not a long-term solution. It doesn't really fix how you're feeling. It just kind of like makes you feel less guilty for a very, very short period of time. And we want to help people really navigate through this so that they can feel difficult things and realize that it is not their body that is the problem. Their body had been the scapegoat, but they will be okay choosing healthier behaviors if they start thinking in healthier ways. So it's kind of this like cycle of mindset and behavior change that does take a lot of reinforcement and a lot of practice to get to that point of body neutrality, body respect, so that you can actually not just get a period back, but have that healthier relationship with your body so that you never lose a period again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are all great tips and very helpful. And I love what you're talking about earlier, kind of taking that values aligned approach and thinking about, I just know this was a huge thing for me, like my values, like I value my friends, I value my family and just all these different things that I value and realizing that my body and my weight has nothing to do with that. And then another huge thing I just thought of was also getting rid of the scale because in my eating disorder, I was very numbers focused and it was like a competition almost. And I'm sure maybe some people listening can even resonate with that, but getting rid of the scale, just not even having that sense of control was huge for me. Have you seen that that's been helpful for your clients as well? Yeah. So I'd say the two biggest things that are really, oh, there's multiple, but I'm going to name three big things that are really helpful. So number one is getting rid of the scales because there's no way that you can win with the scales. Even if your healthy self is like, oh, I'm going to feel so much better gaining weight today because I know that it's that the thing that's going to be really healthy for me. For a lot of people, they can know that rationally in their mind, step on the scale and still feel terrible. So there's no way to win with the scale. Plus it's just your gravitational force against the earth. Like it doesn't really make a difference about who you are. So throw those out. And along with throwing out the scales, throw away or give away clothes that no longer serve your here and now body. If being comfortable, being comfortable is important as your body goes through change. There's absolutely nothing worse than items of clothing that cling to areas that make you feel hyper aware of that body part. Choose Mm -hmm. clothes that serve your here and now body, make you feel comfortable, make you feel badass. Like there's no reason why you have to go hide your body either. 
but you know, go to a thrift store. You don't always have to buy new clothes or clothes swap with a friend and just find some items that make you feel comfortable in the moment instead of berating yourself for clothes that no longer serve you. Um, and then my third one, which often is a game changer for people is letting go of tracking. So letting go of tracking of food and you know, overanalyzing um, food labels and, you know, having to have the perfect meals and the perfect snacks and breaking down those food rules and those food fears, 100% so, so important in this recovery process. Yes, exactly. Those are all great tips and all things that I definitely went through and can speak to as huge game changers in my recovery journey as well. And so for your clients that are struggling with HA, is there, I mean, it's individualized, it's different for everyone, but would you say there's like a certain period of time that it usually takes to get that period back or what would, what's like the average time? Yeah. So I, I run a program, which is like an eight week program, but I usually say to my clients in that program that it can take anywhere from two months at like kind of minimum amount of time, but the average amount of time is about six months. A lot of people who adopt changes early and assimilate those into their routine quite quickly. So nourishing their body adequately, regularly modifying their movement, working on stress management, they typically get their periods back in about three months, but somebody can do those exact same things and their body is just slower to upregulate those hormone levels. What we look for is positive signs that, you know, fertility is improving to kind of reinforce that patience is sometimes necessary. And everybody's body does take a different amount of time. So I say really, really give it six months of being quite um, like sticking to the plan. You know, mm -hmm. if nothing's changed in six months, if we've really covered all the bases here, then we can look at other things that might be going on. Um, and yes, it is completely individualized. Like I don't think a cookie cutter approach works for anyone, which is why even in my program, like I'm giving people that individual support because we're all unique in what we need in terms of our nutrition and how we can manage our stress because we all have different things going on in our lives. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That, that is essential. Nothing is one size fits all for anyone. And it's really also going to depend on how committed the individual is to the process. Like, are you still exercising how much and are you still restricting in certain ways and things like that? And then another question I had for you kind of back to exercise, like we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm how do you help your clients manage or control that exercise addiction or compulsion if it's something that they've been doing for so long or like if they've been an athlete for so long how do you help navigate that with them yeah I'd, i i would say that the exercise piece is often harder and needs more support than the food side because rationally people understand that uh, increasing their food intake makes sense right you know i've been really underfueling myself it makes sense to nourish my body adequately but with exercise, it's so glorified. And, you know, we're kind of taught that if a little bit is good, then more is better, which is not always the case. But what I try to focus on is really challenging people's assumptions about what their exercise means about the person that they are. 
because if we're not tackling that, then it's really hard to say to someone like, I just want you to do 30 minutes less than you were doing before. They're like, um, I can't do that because that's so much a part of my identity. And okay, let's tackle the identity piece and really slowly chip away at what you're doing. Could you, for instance, try five minutes less tomorrow morning as an experiment and just see what happens non-judgmentally, non-critically, just be curious about the outcome. How did you feel? Did anything happen differently? Did the world stop turning, right? And so we start to gain evidence that our exercise regime can be different and will be okay. And then education is also really important about like, you're not getting stronger in the gym. You're breaking down your muscles when you're lifting weights at the gym. You know, you're stressing your cardiovascular system when you're doing cardiovascular exercise. Like you don't get stronger doing either of those two things. You get stronger during the recovery phase. And if we're not adequately recovering, you know, I will say like, if you want to train hard, you need to recover 10 times harder than you're training. Hmm. It's about educating people that, you know, things like a deload week, really important rest days, incredibly essential post-workout nutrition, you know, sleep, all of these things. If you want to train like quote unquote, an athlete, you know, you really have to think about, well, an athlete gets paid to do this. Obviously it's their job. So probably don't compare yourself to that, (laughs) but like, they're also engaging in all of these protocols that really help their body thrive after that stimulus, which is the exercise piece. And, And the stimulus doesn't need to be hours and hours and hours a day to get the health benefits for movement or even certain fitness goals that we might have for ourselves. Like you need to be able to train smart. So once it's kind of worked, once I've worked my way through that fitness identity piece and challenging people's assumptions around the amount or the intensity they need to do, again, we become curious about how could we change this into a more sustainable program, but it's not going to happen overnight. So it's about being patient with yourself and with the health professional that you are working at, that you will get to where you want to be, but it might not happen as quickly as you want it to, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. We want this to be something that you can get to do for the rest of your life. So if it takes you six months to get there, I'm okay with that. You should be okay with that because it is the, it's a drop in the ocean compared to the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's all about something, finding that thing that's sustainable and being gentle with yourself and compassionate with yourself throughout the entirety of the process, because yeah, it's not easy. And just taking those small steps, like you said, five minutes, take five minutes off small steps every single week or day or whatever it may be adds Mm -hmm. up over time and can totally shift your mindset. And a lot of the things you were talking about earlier was really getting into those root causes of what you're thinking and why you're doing it. So yeah, that's, so important. And lastly, just to kind of start wrapping up, I feel like I love learning and hearing from you talk. This is awesome. But um, I have a couple final questions for you. So the first one is, what is advice that you would have given your younger self? The advice that I would have given my younger self is don't care so much what other people think. I made so many of my decisions when I was younger based on what I thought would make me be cool or be accepted instead of what I knew was actually aligned with the kinds of things that I wanted to do and the person that I innately knew that I was, you know, 
I was nerdy and smart and funny and sassy, but I was never like the cool kid. And I wish I could have just been like, you're fine. Just the way that you are. You don't need to impress anyone 10 years down the track. Nobody's going to remember you in high school. So just be you about, you know, it's a lot easier said than done, but that would be my advice for my younger self. That's awesome. Yeah. Just not needing that external validation and having it within yourself. So, so important. And lastly, what is a quote or a mantra that you live by or something that just really resonates with you? Yeah. So I was thinking about this one earlier and I'm actually going to do the quote that really helped me get through my recovery. And I now have a tattoo as kind of like a physical representation of this Mm. quote, but um, the quote is, I am a garden of a single rose blossoming in infinite ways. And it reminded me that even though I saw change as something bad, what if I shift my mindset and went, this change could be something beautiful. And I remind myself of that constantly whenever I'm going through a period of change to reframe that. I know I'm feeling anxious right now, but what if I thought about this change could be beautiful and, you know, my life could be, you know, expanding and growing and wouldn't it be such a better way to think about that? So yeah, I've got a rose, a face with a rose tattoo on my right arm now. um, And it always reminds me of that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Looking at things as if it's happening for a reason and you know that something positive is going to come out of it. I love that. That's so important. And finally, if people are listening right now and maybe they're struggling with some of the things that we've talked about, or they just have a question for you, Um, where can they find you at or how could they reach out to you or work with you or whatever it may be? Yeah. So I am most active on Instagram at Sarah Liz King is my handle. My website that lists all of our services um, because I have a few team members is sarahlizking.com. So you can check that out. Um, Also, we do, I, I run with my employee, Lucy, a recovery support network called Recovery Club. So you can find that through my Instagram at Sarah Liz King. It's in my bio. Or if you're listening to this, we are on Instagram at underscore recovery club. So we do, you know, weekly community calls. We run little challenges in there. There's recipes, there's, you know, recovery friendly workouts, it's a really special place for those who are going through recovery and feel so, so isolated and is also a very financially viable option for people to kind of get involved with if they feel like one-to-one isn't something that they can afford right now. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, the community and support aspect is so essential and makes you definitely feel less isolated in that recovery experience. So I love that. And I'll be sure to um, link those resources in the show notes so people can access them easier. But anyways, thank you so much for coming on my show today. And hopefully everyone listening learned just as much as I did. And thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If anything in this episode resonated heavily like it did with me, feel free to reach out on Instagram and DM me at Jacqueline Lives Well, and we can chat more there. Also feel free to reach out to Sarah and DM her on Instagram as well. Her Instagram is linked in the show notes, so you can click that there. Also, if you feel like a friend could benefit from listening to this episode or just your audience, feel free to post it up on your Instagram story and tag me so that I know that you're listening and sharing it with others. That's a great way to support the show. And lastly, if you have time, it would mean so much to me if you left a quick 
rating and review on the show to further support me and really help me just share this message with more people and a broader audience. And once again, we'll chat soon. Mm-hmm.